So we're getting back into this, this really intense chapter. And I admitted at class last night that the first time that I studied this chapter intensely with Rabbi Steinsaltz's book, I just, I was like, in a daze. I, I was like, this is not Chabad. I, I don't know how this is Chabad. It was so shocking to me. But then, you know, as I moved along in my journey and I started to realize the gift of this chapter. So originally, like on first encounter, there is definitely a certain shock element happening here. But one of the important, most important ways of minimizing the shock is realizing it in context. Like, why are we studying these ideas? So let's backtrack for a little and realize why we are studying these ideas. Why we are studying these ideas in chapter 29, these crushing ideas, is really to reinvigorate our heart, to give our heart a recharge so that it can once again feel and respond to the divine soul. That's what's happening here. This person is not feeling the joy in their relationship with Hashem. So we're visiting this condition and we're saying, look, there's a sp- serious spiritual condition at hand over here. What's the spiritual condition? The spiritual condition is that this person's heart is numb. You can't be numb. That's a really serious impediment. You have to be able to feel. If you can't feel, then some treatment is in order. What's the treatment over here? The treatment over here is crushing the sitra achra. Crushing the dark side so that it no longer obscures the light of the divine soul. Now, that would be fine enough if it wasn't so personal. But the fact is that in order to crush the sitra achra, it entails something personal. And that's crushing our own heart. Because the way we live our life is we become so enmeshed with the animal soul, we identify with it so deeply that while essentially that's not who we are, but on a day-to-day level, that is who we are. And because that's who we are, when we crush our own self, we crush the sitra achra. So level one was last class, and that was telling yourself, hey, even if, and remember, we're not just speaking to any regular person, we're speaking to a benoni, somebody who is behaviorally perfect and telling the person look even if you don't do anything wrong but you have an animal soul and that animal soul of yours craves to do things that is against the will of Hashem just for the very fact that you are capable of craving something that's against the divine will puts you at a very low place puts you at an ultimate distance from Hashem in that place you are even lower than the creepy crawly things, than the unclean creatures. That should bring a person to a deep level of humility. Now we're going to take it one step further. And before we go into this one step further, it's important to clarify. Is crushing holy? No. Crushing by itself is not holy. We can't confuse the method with the purpose. What is the purpose here? The purpose here is to re-enliven our heart. The purpose here is that there's a dull heart that cannot feel and connect with the divine. We need to get rid of that obscurity so that it can once again respond to the intellect of the divine soul. The way to do that is by crushing the animal soul. Crushing by itself, that's not holy. 
It's not that a life of holiness is a life of crushing. That's not what it is. This is a specific exercise to reach a certain goal. And the goal is to actually find joy in Hashem. That's the goal. So this is where we're looking at right now. And we're moving into the step like this. Step one was, look how far you are from Hashem. Your animal soul can, can crave things that are so far away from him. But let's be honest. Whose doing was that? That was not the person's own doing. Hashem made him that way. So a person might hear those words and say, I, I hear you, but they won't feel humble because of it. Because ultimately, that's not something that they did. So this next level is saying, it's not just the way you were created. This is something that you did by your own free will. When a person ponders the fact that they took certain steps to create a partition between them and Hashem, it's not just the way they were created, it was their very own actions, that's going to bring them to a very great level of humility. And that's the key over here. The key is humility. Humility is essential in Judaism. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses. It says about him, Shechina medaberes mitaych grainai. The Shechina spoke out of his throat. He was such a transparent channel to the divine. And you know what the Torah says about him? You know what Hashem says about him? Hashem says that he was anav me'od. He was not just humble, he was very humble. In order to reach that kind of transparency, in order to be that kind of channel to the divine, we absolutely need humility. So hard to have humility because that's not the way we're born. We're born that we're so enmeshed with our animal soul. You know that analogy story of how they one way to trap a monkey is that they take a squash, they carve it out, they knock it into the ground, and they put bait inside. The hole is just big enough for the monkey to put his hand inside too small for him to take his hand out with the bait. So the monkey goes to the squash, sticks his hand inside, grabs the bait, and now he's stuck because he won't let go of the bait. If he would let go of the bait, he would be free, but he can't let go of the bait because he's too attached to that little treat. And that's how it is with our ego. We are so unique because we live in two worlds. We're part of two worlds. We're part of the physical world, and we need the physical world. We need to eat, we need to sleep, we need things that the physical world offers us. But that's not what defines us. Who are we essentially? We're of a higher world. We're a spiritual being. Our goal is to let the spirit control the matter. But when we get so caught like that, the monkey holding on to the bait, we get trapped by our ego and then we can't be free. Truly, we are expression of the divine. And like Hashem himself, we're infinite. We can accomplish anything. But in order to be free, we have to be able to let go of our ego. And so this is what we're working at right now. So here we go. We're moving along. In the middle of page four, and I tell you it's getting a little intense, Ubefrat, and especially so. So first we remembered the fact that a person was capable of doing sin. But now we're saying it's not just your capabilities. Call this to mind. Especially so if he calls to mind the contamination of his soul with the sin of youth. The sin of youth is a euphemism for wasteful emission of the seed of life, of semen. 
And in general, Rabbi Steinzalt says that it's a reference to the sexual misconduct characteristic of young people. So a person can say, hey, look, I'm scotch-free. Well, are you scotch-free? Go back and look at your youth. See how you misconducted yourself then. See if that will bring you to a state of humility. And the blemish he has brought thereby in the supernal world, the source of his soul. You see, every time a person does a sin, God forbid, they allow some filth and contamination to cling to their soul. Now, there's more than one level of our soul. There's the soul as it's invested in our body. And there's a part of our soul that actually never becomes invested in our body and remains attached to our soul within the body, but it's in its supernal source. So this person did a sin, and now some filth and contamination clings to their soul, not just the soul that's in the body, but also the source of their soul as it exists in the supernal worlds. Visham hulamayla mehazman uche'ilu pagam v'nitmahayayim chas v'shalam mamish. For the fact that they were sins of youth, belonging to a time and to a spiritual level from which he may be presently far removed, is irrelevant in these supernal worlds, where everything is timeless, and it is as if he had caused the blemish and defiled himself this very day, God forbid. Okay, so let's look at this for a minute. First of all, who are we speaking about? We are speaking about somebody who is a Benoni. Do you know what the Altarpa says about a Benoni in chapter 12? He said, a Benoni is somebody who never sinned, nor will he ever sin. What does that mean, he never sinned? Does it mean that somebody who sinned cannot become a Benoni? No, that's not what it means. Anybody could be a Benoni. What it means is, where he is right now, the sins of his past are like non-existent. They almost don't relate to him. It's like the way an adult relates to their childhood self. So you can remember the thoughts that you thought, you can remember the deeds that you did, good or bad, and yet, while you know historically and factually they belong to you, you no longer relate to them. Yes, they were you, but they're like as if of a different person. That's the Benoni. The sin that he did in his youth, yes, it was him, but it no longer belongs to him anymore. It was a different person. He can look at it and say, that wasn't me. So what is the Alter Rebbe telling us over here? He's saying something pretty profound and intense. We exist in this physical world, but there's part of our soul that exists in the supernal worlds. In that space, there's no such thing as time. Past, present, and future are all one. So yes, you did it a long time ago, but in the supernal source of your soul, it's like it happened today. Think about a rule of logic, two plus two is four. We're not gonna say that it ages, that it withers. It's not bound by the constraints of time. That's kind of an analogy for spiritual things that don't have this connection to time where we can say that became ancient, they've aged, they've become worn down, it doesn't happen. So a person did a sin and yes, they moved on. But there's a space in the supernal worlds where it's like he did it today because that place transcends time. And again, this is to bring us to a state of humility. In chapter 25, the Altar Rebbe used this very same idea to bring us an incredible level of joy. He told us that every time we did a mitzvah, 
we create this huge fusion with the divine, with Hashem himself. Our soul totally fuses with Hashem. And that fusion that we create, the Alter Rebbe said, Yichod hu va'ed. This union above is eternal, lasting forever. So you do this good thing, and you create a fusion in a place that's timeless. And that fusion that, create, that you created lasts forever. But now we're speaking about something very humbling, and that is that a person moved on. But nevertheless, the sin that they did years and years ago is just as real today because it exists in a place that is timeless. Past, present, and future are all one. We're going to develop this idea more fully, and if anybody has a hard time with it, I want to work it out together because we can't remain stuck. Now remember, again, this is somebody, we're speaking to somebody who did teshuva. So this is all the more hurtful. It's like, how, how could you say this to me? But I did teshuva. Fa'af shekvar asa teshuva nechayna. True. He may have already repented sincerely and thereby removed the blemish and cleansed himself. So there's different levels of teshuva. Basic teshuva, as prescribed by Jewish law, is azivas hachet bilvar. This is what the Alter Rebbe specifies later on in Nigeris HaTeshuva. It's just the abandonment of sin. You say, never going to do it again. That's all that's required by Jewish law. The Rambam also says that there's verbal confession, and regret, that's already a higher level of teshuva. Very basic teshuva is never going to do it again. And I'll give you an example from the Talmud. The Talmud has this discussion. What if a man betrothes a woman and he makes it conditional? He makes it contingent upon the fact that he is a tzaddik. He's a righteous man. So he says, you are betrothed to me on the condition that I'm a tzaddik. Then we do a little background check and we find he's not just not a tzaddik. He's actually a huge rasha. He's like guilty of theft and a whole bunch of other stuff so now does she need a get because he made this conditional betrothal he said you are betrothed to me on the condition that i am a tzaddik so the talmud says yes she should get a get because we don't know maybe at that moment that he betrothed her shema hear her tshuva belibai maybe he had thoughts of teshuva of repentance in his heart at that time so from the Talmud, we see that just those thoughts of repentance were enough to cast a doubt that possibly he was a tzaddik at that time. So just basic teshuva is saying, I'm never going to do it again. That's not the teshuva that we're discussing now. We're discussing something called teshuva nechayna, proper teshuva. This is not about legalities like, I don't want to be on Hashem's blacklist. I don't want to get punished. You don't want to get punished, so you just do the regular teshuva. But here we're talking about relationship teshuva. Here we're talking about you're doing teshuva because it hurt you. It hurt you that you created a distance between you and Hashem. It bothers you so much, you want to be so close to Him. There's a story of the Magad of Zlachev, Rabbi Chil Michal, a very great Hasidic master. In his youth, he lived in a certain village. And in that place, there was a wagon driver. This wagon driver used to make his living by transporting people and merchandise. One Friday afternoon, Rabbi Chil Michal was in the base medrash, the shul, the place where he studied all the time. And he sees the wagon driver walk in crying, crying and crying and crying to the rabbi. 
And the rabbi said, what happened? And he said, oh, rabbi, I did something so terrible. I need a tikkun teshuva. I need to know how I can do some rectification for what I did. He said, what did you do? He said, I violated the Shabbat. And the rabbi said, how did you do that? He said, listen, I was on the way back from the fair with all my, mag- my wagon was loaded with merchandise. I got lost in the forest. I fell in a ditch. Couldn't find my way back to town. It was Friday afternoon. I was so perturbed and so disoriented with everything that was happening that I failed to realize that by the time I came to town, Shabbos had already started. And the rabbi saw how brokenhearted he was. And he said to him, listen, the gates of repentance are never closed. Don't worry about it. What you need to do is bring a pound of candles to show this Friday and Hashem's going to forgive you. So he brings a pound of candles that Friday. He puts it on the lectern. The, the shamish, the synagogue beetle, comes Friday afternoon. And he was going to light the candles, but the candles were gone because a stray dog came into the synagogue and ate the candles. And so the man took this as a sign. He said, the dog ate my candles. This is a sign from heaven that they don't accept my teshuva. They don't accept my repentance. He was brokenhearted. And the rabbi said, listen, it's not a sign at all. These things happen. Don't worry about it. Bring another pound of candles this week. Everything is going to be fine. So he brings another pound of candles. And the shamash lights the candles just before Shabbat. And just for some odd reason, the candles melt down almost instantly. And they're gone just minutes within Shabbat. So the man is devastated and he goes to the rabbi. He said, I told you Hashem said it wasn't okay. And he said, please, you're taking this too seriously. Bring another pound of candles this week. He brings another pound of candles. And the shamash lights the candles before Shabbat. The second Shabbat comes in. A huge wind comes to the shul, blows out all the candles. And this time the rabbi admits, he says, something is up. I know it's nothing to do with your teshuva, but you need to go visit the Baal Shem Tov. So he travels to the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov listens to his story and he said, hmm, it seems like a certain young scholar in your town is not pleased with the teshuva that the rabbi prescribed for you. Do me a favor. You go back to town this week. You light the candles before Shabbat. I'm telling you this week, nothing is going to happen. And by the way, do me the favor and ask Rabbi Yechiel Michal to come visit me. So he said, okay. He comes back to town and right away he goes to Rabbi Yechiel Michal and he says, the Baal Shem Tov would like to see you. Wasting no time, he immediately goes to come visit the Baal Shem Tov. What an honor. He gets an invitation from the Baal Shem Tov himself. As he's traveling to Mezhebuz, every possible mishap that could happen happens along the way. The axle breaks. They fall into a ditch. They lose their way. Finally, they find their way to Mezhebuz, but it's so close to Shabbos that they have to abandon the wagon and walk on foot to town. Rabbi Yechiel Michal walks into town an hour after Shabbos started into the Baal Shem Shul. He's traumatized. He's exhausted from the near violation of Shabbat. And the, the Baal Shem Tov sees him and he greets him. And he says, welcome, Rabbi Yechiel Michal. Come, warm yourself by the fire. Relax. Look, you who never tasted sin could not comprehend the agony and torment that a Jew feels when he transgresses the will of his Father in heaven. But now that you tasted something of his agony, I hope that you can appreciate that just his remorse enough, just his remorse alone was enough for teshuva, and definitely a pound of candles was fine. 
So here we're talking about regret. When somebody feels agonized, when somebody feels tormented, that is a teshuva, total proper teshuva. They felt like, oh my goodness, I was so far from Hashem. They feel remorseful. It's not about a pan of candles. It's about the heart. Look at this man, how anguished he felt, how tormented he felt. That alone is proper teshuva. And this is the teshuva that we're speaking about here. We're speaking about somebody who did proper teshuva, who didn't just do legal teshuva. We're speaking about somebody who did relationship teshuva. It was so important to him that he is close to Hashem. And yet the Altarebbe now says in Tanya that even though he did proper teshuva, his sin still exists in the higher realms. And why is that? But the essence of repentance is in the heart. And again, we're talking about the essence of repentance. Because legal repentance is just saying, never going to do it again. And in the heart, there are many distinctions and levels. So it's not just one depth in the heart. You know, chapter 130 in Tehillim, it says, Hashem, A song of ascents, from the depths I call out to you, Hashem. There's not just one depth. There's a depth beyond depth. Think about somebody who's not making enough money to make ends meet. That bothers them. It bothers them deeply, you would say, right? But can you compare him to somebody who's an utter pauper, destitute and homeless? No. To him, it reaches an even deeper place in the heart. Even when it reaches a person to a certain depth in the heart, there's a place where it no longer touches him anymore. So for example, the person who doesn't make such a great living, it bothers him up to a point. And yet, there's a place a little deeper where it doesn't bother him anymore. And then there's the utter pauper. It bothers him even deeper. But there's a place deeper still where it doesn't bother him anymore. As for example, if God forbid his child was in mortal danger. There, it bothers him at a much greater depth. That's a depth beyond depth. So the Alter Rebbe is saying it's true. You did proper teshuva, but the essence of teshuva is in the heart. And the heart has many levels. Moreover, Everything depends on what kind of man he is. The greater his stature, the higher the level of repentance required of him and on the time and place in which he now stands as is known to the knowing. Whenever and wherever one is less tempted by a particular sin, a deeper and loftier level of repentance is expected of him for having committed that sin than at the time when he is more strongly tempted and must fight more insistently to resist that temptation. Similarly, time and space create other differences with respect to repentance. Therefore, judging by one's present situation, his earlier repentance may be inadequate in erasing his past sins. Perhaps then, the absence of a higher form of repentance required of him now causes his sins to interpose between himself and Hashem, preventing the light of his soul from penetrating his heart, as the Altar will continue. So the Altar uses three terms. He says... It's Everything depends on what kind of man he is, on the time, and on the place. This refers to the three dimensions referred to in Kabbalah as 
Olam Shana Nefesh, which means world as in space, Shana, which means year as in time, and Nefesh, which means soul as in self. So there's these three dimensions. There's the space, there's the time, and there's the person. And depending on these three factors, everything can change all over again. Think about a six-year-old child who took a permanent marker and scribbled all over his parents' expensive paintings, his Van Gogh or Picasso, worth millions of dollars, right? Then the parents said, oh my goodness, see what you did? You ruined our expensive painting that was worth a fortune. And the kid is so sorry. So he writes an apology note and he even cries and he says, I'm sorry, and he hugs his parents. Now he's 30 and he's also an art professor. When does he feel a stronger level of regret? When he was six year old and he did it? Or when he's 30 and he now has a greater appreciation of the art and a greater appreciation of the fortune? right? Now that he's 30, he suddenly has a new level of regret that he didn't experience anymore when he was six years old. So yes, when the person did teshuva, they really meant it. Their teshuva was real. But as you progress, as you get closer to Hashem, you have a new appreciation now. There's a new relationship here. Your relationship has come to a new depth. And so that sin that didn't used to cause an inter interposition for you is now coming to intervene. It's now creating a barrier because at this space where you are, the teshuva hasn't been repented for. You, you did. You repented from the depth of your heart. And yet there was a certain place where you didn't reach yet because you weren't even there. But as we progress and we get higher and closer to our Shem and our relationship, there's a new depth. And from that depth, we may need to have to do teshuva. Again, I, I want to remind you the reason why we're saying all of this. We're saying all of this to bring a person to a great state of humility. And humility is key so that they can feel again, so that they can be in touch with their divine soul. And this is an exercise in order to reach this level of humility so that they can be in touch with their divine soul, so that their heart can be hard and fast in love for Hashem. There can be literally a physical response to their spiritual meditation and Consequently, now at this time, when observing himself, he sees the light of the soul does not penetrate into him, it is evident that either A, his repentance has not been accepted, and his sins still separate him from Hashem. So, yes, his repentance was accepted, but he's in a new place now. And the altar was saying, today, his repentance wasn't accepted. Because today, his sins interpose between him and Hashem. The Navi Yeshaya says, Ki im That means, for your iniquities came to separate between you and your God. Anytime a person sins, they set a barrier between them and Hashem so that they become numb. There's like something on the receptors that's blocking the communication between him and Hashem. A sin causes that kind of partition. It's a really fascinating idea, the whole idea of the other side. You know, Hashem created the other side so that we have freedom of choice. In order for them to exist, he gives them a minimal amount of life force. And that's all they get. However, 
Anytime a person sins, they feed more life energy into the Sitra Achara, into the other side. They take the divine, holy energy that's channeled to them and they channel it wrongly to the forces of evil. Man is evil's only source of nurture. They don't get nurture from anywhere else. They only get nurture from man. And when a person does a sin, God forbid, they take holy divine energy and they feed it to the Sitra Achara. Then this comes back to haunt them, comes back to haunt them because it creates a barrier between them and Hashem. And so if they're not feeling the connection, it means that today this sin is causing a barrier between them and Hashem. Now, where they were before, it wasn't causing a barrier, but they've moved up in life. Currently, where they are today, it's hurting them. It depends on your relationship. Think about somebody that you're very close to today, but earlier in life, you didn't have such a close relationship. Earlier in life, when you didn't have such a close relationship, you could have done things or said things that could fly, no problem. But now that your hearts are so plugged into each other, those little things really hurt. As we move up in our relationship with Hashem, those things that weren't a problem before, they are now a problem and they're causing an interruption in this relationship. I just wanna, I wanna stop for a minute. Does anybody have a hard time with this or are we okay and can we keep moving? I, I have a question. Yeah. Because it, so how do you know that you're at a level where your earlier repentance was not adequate? So you're saying, how, the question is like this, why are we doing this exercise? We're doing this exercise because a person is feeling a dull heart. So the altar says, you, you have a dull heart. Why do you have a dull heart? Because the Sitra Achra is covering your heart. But if you're so perfect, then what dominion does the Sitra Achra have over you? It must be the energy that you fed the Sitra Achra is now coming back to dull your heart. It's the Sitra Achra having the chutzpah of raising itself against the divine soul. So if you're feeling this sudden dullness, if you're meditating, if you're studying and it's not reaching your heart, it means that the Sitra Achra is obscuring. If the Sitra Achra is obscuring, we have to find out why. So the Altarba says, Maybe the, the teshiva that you did before, which was totally perfect for then, today is not enough. That, that intervention depends what level you're at. You know, when a person's at a lower level, then a general teshiva is fine. But as they get closer and deeper, then the subtlest thing bothers them. So if you're feeling a dullness, then maybe you need to revisit your sins of your past and do teshiva for them from a deeper space. This whole idea of humbling the Sitra Achra in order to once again feel the divine light is a really interesting idea. And that's because later on in Tanya, the Altar of explains what is the Sitra Achra. If we were to define it in one term, if we were to define the forces of evil with just one description, with just one adjective, what is it? You know what it is? All it is is chutzpah. All it is is arrogance. It's nothing other than arrogance. And if we want to obliterate it, if we want to shatter it, if we want to totally remove its identity, what do we do? We crush it. 
and by crushing it, it totally loses its identity. And we have this experience in our world of relationships and people. Just think about the whole Enron disaster. How did that whole Enron disaster happen? One of the key points over there is people were listening to pseudo leaders, to people whose whole power was their power of persuasion, their assertiveness, their ego. But actually, who they were essentially was nobody. They didn't have what it took to be a leader. All they had was persuasion. All they had was ego. It's the character ethic versus the personality ethic. The character ethic is you have to actually be a good person. The personality ethic is you just have to have tons of charisma. You have to have a really great air about you so you can win people all the time, persuade them, influence them. That's very shallow. If something operates off just that shallow platform, then as soon as you strip it of its ego, it no longer exists. That's what the Sitra Akhra is. It's nothing but an ego. And when we strip it and we crush it down, we're once again able to feel the humility and once again be rejuvenated in our hearts so that we can be in touch with our divine soul. So reason A was that today, even though our teshiva was fine before, today it's not fine anymore. Now we're going to look at another reason. Or B, it is desired that he be raised to a more sublime level of repentance coming from a point yet deeper in his heart than his earlier repentance. Far from indicating divine displeasure, the rejection of his repentance in this latter case points to divine favor, a desire to raise this person to yet greater heights of repentance. Hence the difficulties in his divine service and the Timtum Halev, so that he will call forth greater resources from within himself and repent more deeply. So there's another reason why a person might be feeling dullness in the heart. Reason A is their sins are causing an interjection between them and Hashem. But then there's another reason. This reason is the reason of tough love. It's Hashem is showing him an extra measure of love by withholding love. Hashem is saying, your teshuva up until now was totally fine. Your teshuva up until now was totally appropriate to your current level. What you did is great, but I want you to be closer to me. And so because I want you to be closer to me, I'm giving you a dull heart today so that you do teshuva all over again and you get closer to me from yet a higher level. And this is really a novel idea. And to, so to support this novel idea, the Alter Rebbe is now going to bring us proof of this from the Tanakh. V'lachain amar David, v'chatasi negdi samid. For this reason, King David said, despite the fact that he was a tzaddik, who was able to say of himself, my heart is void within me, which means, as Rashi, Rashi comments, the evil impulse is as if dead within me. Despite this, he would still say, my sin is constantly before me. So we are looking at King David, who did teshuva to such an extent that he was able to say, my heart is void within me, means that he actually killed his Yetzirah. He had no evil within him anymore. And yet him, who was on such a high level, what did he say? He said, My sin is constantly before me. 
Why was it necessary for a man of David's caliber to constantly bear in mind his past sins? Surely he had repented for them adequately. Obviously, then, the memory is necessary in order to spur one to greater heights within the ranks of holiness, to deeper level of repentance, as said earlier. Okay, so we're looking at a man of great stature, somebody who totally did teshuva. For sure, King David's teshuva was perfect, and yet he said, my sin is constantly before me. Why is he keeping his sin constantly before me? So, yes, if you want to do teshuva according to law, all you need to do is say, I'm never going to do it again. You can do it verbal, confession. You can have regret in your heart. But the ultimate teshuva is not about neutralizing the sin. That's not what it's about. It's about using the sin again and again to impel you to move closer to Hashem. Teshuva in this lens is not a one-time act. It's a continuous process of getting closer and closer to Hashem, allowing the bitterness of the sin to propel you for yet a deeper relationship. And this is really the difference between a tzaddik and a baal teshuva. A tzaddik has a really exciting relationship with Hashem. Anytime he wants to feel close, he was able to satisfy that closeness. A baal teshuva is from a whole different place. It's like, who runs faster? The person who is running towards the treasure, you say, okay, in a mile from here, there's a million dollars. Whoever gets his hands on it first gets to keep it. Everybody's going to go running fast. And then you tell somebody, Yoo-hoo, there's a lion chasing you. You better run. So he runs fast too. Who runs faster? The person that's running towards the treasure or the person that's running away from the lion? The person that's running away from the lion. Why? Because when you're running to the treasure, you're running as fast as you possibly can. But when you're running away from a lion, you're running faster than you can. And that's what we're doing over here with Teshuvah. It's not about, okay, I want to forget about it. No, no, you missed the point. It's not about forgetting about it. It's about allowing it to constantly propel your relationship with Hashem to newer and deeper levels. There's a story told of a peasant who insulted the king, but he was such a crude man. He had no appreciation of royalty. There was no way to even punish him because he had no appreciation for what he did. So the king invited him to the palace. And then he raised him rank after rank. And suddenly he started to appreciate what a king was, what royalty means. And as he rose in rank, he felt a deeper level of shame at at having insulted the king when he was still a peasant who was so ignorant. And that's how it is with us. Yes, we do teshuva. But our teshuva reaches as deep as we are right now. We are constantly called upon to grow. And as we grow... That certain subtle something, which didn't mean anything before, really means something now. And we're called upon to do yet a deeper level of teshuva. And this is not because we are supposed to be sad all our life. Absolutely not. This is supposed to be because we're supposed to be joyous all our life. And because we're supposed to be reaching an even deeper level of connection with Hashem. So let me wrap up what we said until now. And we started to say that there's another way to reach humility. And that is... Think about the things that you did by your own choice. Maybe now you're perfect, but think about your youth. 
You know, most of us can say that now we're perfect, honestly. We don't have to dig that as far back as our youth. Most of us can dig back as far as a few hours. But the Alter Rebbe is speaking to a perfect individual who really did complete Teshuvah and is so behaviorally perfect. And yet, he's feeling this dullness in his heart. He's not feeling the relationship. And he doesn't know why. So the Alter Rebbe says to him, Your heart is numb. You need to crush yourself. Think about the sins of your youth. And then he says, The sins of my youth, but I already did Teshuvah for those sins. And he said, listen, that sin exists in not just the soul as it is in your body. It exists in the supernal source of your soul. And in that space, it's timeless. It's not like you did it 100 years ago. It's like you did it today. Think about the vast damage you caused to your soul today. And so then he says, one minute, but I did such a good teshuva. I was so sincere. I was so remorseful that that kind of teshuva wipes away the sin. And the altar says, true, you were remorseful. And it did wipe away your sin, but you're in a different space now. And the heart has many levels. And from where you are right now, maybe today your teshuva is not accepted. Maybe you have to do teshuva from a deeper space from where you are in your relationship with Hashem today. Or, and there's another reason why you can be feeling this interjection between you and Hashem. And that is because this is an extra level of love. It's a privilege that Hashem is showing you. Your teshuva was fine, but Hashem is saying, I want you to be closer to me. I'm giving you a dull heart. I'm withholding love so you can reach deeper within yourself and reach a higher level of connection to me. And you know where we can find proof of that in Tanakh? We can look at King David, David HaMelech. He said about himself, even though he did such good teshuva that he was able to say my heart was void within me, he, did, he said, my sin is constantly before me. Why was his sin constantly before him? Because he used it as an impetus to keep him striving to get closer and deeper to Hashem. And all of this that we're learning today is, again, to bring a person to a level of humility so that their heart can once again feel relationship with Hashem and they can be feeling and joyful and feel the connection of their divine soul with Hashem and that's where we are up until right now. And does anybody have uh, questions or insights? So each time you revisit something that you did Teshuva for, it's at a deeper level, it's at a greater level, it's more painful. So each time you're stirring up pain, yes, to get closer to Hashem, that you go into this pain again. You're right. And so, so there's two things. First of all, this is not an exercise that a person is supposed to be doing on a constant basis. This is an exercise that's a prescription. It's for certain times in order to reach humility. So every once in a while, the person does these crushing exercises and visits the old sin and yes, conjures the pain so that they can once again feel, so that they can do away with the numbness. It's a prescription and it's not for a constant nagging. But also, later on in Tanya, in Igeris HaTeshuva, the Alter Rebbe looks at the specific term that, that David HaMelech uses. He says, V'chatasi negdi samid. And the word negdi is, is, means like mineged, which means from afar. It's from a distance. It's not supposed to pervade their consciousness. It's some, supposed to be somewhere from a distance that it doesn't cause them sadness because we can't be sad. We have to constantly be in a state of joy. It can't be something that brings them sadness. Then it, it defeats the purpose. It has to be some, somewhere that it's not erased. 
it's somewhere from far so that an act upon them to bring them to a closer level with Hashem. And it, it can even, in Nigeris HaTeshuvah, the Altarab explains how it can even bring them joy. And I don't want to go into that topic right now. But the point is that, no, we're not supposed to be sad. We always should be happy. But there's things that get in the way of happiness. That's, that's the trajectory of these, that's the uh, theme of these chapters. We're, the theme of these chapters, let me remind you, as I said, it's very important to put things in the bigger picture. Otherwise, we get lost in the details and we totally miss the point. The point is that in order to serve Hashem properly, we need the energy of joy. Without joy, we can't serve him properly because we can't be on top of our game. So what gets in the way of joy? Well, there was the depression that we dealt, dealt with in the previous chapters. There was the physical depression, the spiritual depression, and the altar dealt with those things and said, all these things are not reasons to be sad. And if they are a reason to be sad, confine it to a specific time and then get over it. Be happy because Hashem forgave you. And the fact that Hashem forgives us is an incredible reason to be happy. That's one. And then there's another reason. Why are you heavy? Why are you sluggish? Why can't you move? It wasn't because of depression. It was for another reason. It was because of dullness of the heart. Mm-hmm. So the altar rabbi said, you can't feel joy. You have this problem of dullness of the heart. Okay. So all these exercises are really to bring us to joy. It's not, the crushing itself is totally not the purpose. It's just the method. The purpose is joy. The method is the crushing. It's only if a person is in a certain state. If they're in a state where they're meditating and it's not reaching them. They're meditating and their heart is not being moved. Normally that doesn't even happen. Normally you're going to meditate on Hashem. You're going to be moved. Like you almost can't help but be moved. In Parshas Nitzavim, the Torah tells us you should love, how you, you should love Hashem. And it says, Kihu chayecha. Because he is your life. Think about how much you love your life. People cling to life, right? Now, if you think that the essence of all life is Hashem, that your life really is Hashem, Hashem is more essential to your life than your own breath. He's closer to you than your own heartbeat. Think about how much you love your life. Then more than that, really, you love Hashem because he's the essence of your life. If you meditate on these ideas that are so inspiring and so moving, most of us will be moved. Most of us will literally have a physical sensation. The reason why a lot of us are not moved is because we don't take the time. You have to take the time. That's method number, I'm going to get to you in a second, Jill. Method number one is meditate. Study and meditate and your heart's going to be moved. This prescription over here is for somebody who's studying, who's meditating, and they're doing the right things. They really understand. They have like a powerful mind. They have powerful emotions. And it's still not working. Then they have a spiritual problem. A dull heart. So then they have to follow the advice in the Zohar. Crush the Sitra Achor by crushing your heart. You're going to feel again. So it's so important to put this in the larger perspective. It's not that crushing by itself is great. No, it's not. This is all a prescription medication for somebody who experiences dullness of the heart because plan A wasn't working for them. And it's so, they're crushing themselves so that they can actually feel joy. Thank you. Jill, you had a question. Yeah, I wanted to understand um, when you say that Hashem withholds his love so that you'll be closer. So what does that look like? I mean, when things come up against us, and is that when he's withholding his love? What does that look like so that we know what's actually going on? So what it looks like in this chapter is that even though the person did proper teshuva and they are studying 
and they are meditating, their heart doesn't respond. So why isn't their heart responding? It could be A, because from where they are now, their teshiva wasn't enough. Or it could be B, no, their teshiva was fine. But Hashem is still holding their heart numb so that they can dig deeper within themselves and reach a deeper level of closeness with Him. So it's, He's withholding the sensation that should normally be happening. He's withholding the natural response. The natural response is that when you meditate on what you understand, your heart really gets moved. And it's not working for Him. The reason why it's not working for this particular individual is Hashem is saying, I want you to be even closer to me. Where you are is fine according to the standards that you've had, but I want you to be even closer to me. He's, Hashem is pulling him close by showing him numbness. Okay, and I see new names on class today, so if you want me to personally message you before class, then please get to our mutual contact so I can get your number and I'll message you to remind you before class. Okay, bye everybody. Have a great day. Can't wait to see you soon in person. Mwah! In Jerusalem. Mwah. Shabbat shalom. Bye everybody. Good Shabbos.